The Journal of Retirement recently published new research that says that some young people should not save for retirement. Find out what Joe and Big Al think about that today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 401. Plus, is it tax fraud if you refile your taxes to take advantage of the new student loan forgiveness? Should you invest in CDs instead of bonds since both bonds and stocks are getting crushed right now? How can you consolidate your stock portfolio to minimize capital gains tax? Also, charitably inclined YMYW listeners want to know how to use donor-advised funds when spitballing tax planning around an IPO, and whether to do more Roth conversions or more qualified charitable distributions. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Uh, Josie writes in from Atlanta, Big Al. Okay. Joe, Big Al, and Andy, first time, long time. Uh, new research on the life cycle model says young people shouldn't save for retirement, shouldn't be auto-enrolled in retirement plans at work, and should buy a house instead. Based on everything I've heard from YMYW and, well, common sense, this sounds ridiculous to me. I'd love to hear what you, you think on the reasoning of this article. P.S. 2004 Toyota Tacoma. No pets. Drink an occasional glass of red. All right. Listen to YMYW in the shower. That might be a first. While getting ready for work. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Interesting. Oh, shower time. You don't listen to podcasts in the shower? I, I just try to get... You, you like to picture where they are. Yeah, there we so. go. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, boy. Got the image? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So let's talk about savings uh, here. Do, 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 do. I didn't read the article. Yeah, um, but we kind of, Andy just skimmed it for us. So I think what, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this guy's a PhD from Stanford. He probably knows more than I do. <laughs> but what's he saying? I think that the gist of the article is that, um, you know, young people should enjoy their spending. Yeah. So a couple of things I got from the article. One, one was $1,000 means more to you at age 25 than 45. And so I agree with that. So why not spend it now? You're going to have more later. Okay. So, so let me start with that comment, which is true. However, this is my experience. I mean, maybe, maybe you're different, right? But this has been my experience with myself and other people around me, which is if you get used to spending what you have right now, as you make more, you'll get used to spending more and then you get used to spending more and then you never have anything. So, so I don't like that concept. I mean, I'm all for enjoying life. I've always been for enjoying life, but not to the extent of not saving. Right. I guess the point of the article might be, all right, well, people will start saving more aggressively in their th late thirties and forties. They're making more income at that point. And so it'll be easier for them to catch up versus a 25 year old that's making, um, I guess, lower wages in their life cycle in regards to income that he probably just spend that or buy a house and have the right. equity Yeah, because and interest rates are low, but interest rates are not low anymore. So maybe this article was written. Yeah. A few months ago a or a year ago, ago, whatever. Right. It shows so, that yeah. this, this research just came out. So yeah, it, it's interesting that he's saying interest rates are low, but I mean, so that's the other concept in the article buy a house instead, because you, the equity builds up. Well, that, that can work if you live on the coast where there's lots of appreciation. If you live in the Midwest where there's less appreciation, is that a smart idea? Maybe, maybe not. I I Joseph just lived in Atlanta. Yeah. I used to live in Atlanta. I know. Yeah. yeah. 
Yep, exactly. So I, anyway, so I, I'm a believer in doing a little bit of everything. I've always been that way. So contribute to your retirement account, try to get to the match, right? Have some money in savings, have emergency cash, start putting money aside for vacations, for house, right? I, I think, and I know that this is difficult, particularly when you're 25 and just starting out, you don't have a lot of income. So I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, but maybe you just start with little bits here and there. And as you start making more money, you add a little bit more. And then that that's to me, a much more sensible approach. Yeah. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to save when you're younger. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen the charts, right? As I mean, to, just the compounding effect is huge. Right. If you can start in your 20s. Just a couple it, hundred bucks. Yeah. It's big. I mean, waiting 10 years, you can still do great, right? But waiting 10 years, it's a whole different ballgame than if you would have started 10 years earlier. Interestingly, this article actually even says that uh, Social Security replaces 70, 80 or 90 percent of one's pre-retirement income. And that's another reason why it's not necessarily that important to save for young people, which that it sounds really like a bad idea well, to me as well. Yeah. If you if if you never saved a penny and that's your only income, that's true. But that's not the lifestyle that most of us aspire to. Well, right. All right. Well, if, if we're talking about the the population as a whole, what, what is the average of account balance of a retirement account? Yeah, it's a hundred thousand. If that, right. What, what's the median balance? 14 grand. Yeah. It's a lot lower. Yeah. When you take the average, there's some big ones in there. Right. So you take the median, which is like right in the middle of all participants. It's like $15,000. Yeah. So in other words, half the people have 15,000 or less, half the people has 15,000 or more. That, that's actually a better benchmark. And, and, Probably most people that listen to the show as we go through their questions, you know, we have $4 million in our IRA. We have $5 million. We have 500000 They're on the upper echelon. Right. Right. So if you look, yeah, 50, 60, 70% of individuals will be in a lower tax bracket. Right. Because so most people will be in a lower tax bracket because they don't have any money. They haven't saved. They haven't saved. Yeah. So security will make up a quite a bit of their overall income. So you could go with those statistics and say, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to save. Can have fun. But just understand that, okay, well, can you live off of 30 grand a year? Right. Let's say you're making 150 and you're not saving anything. Right. Okay. Well, your social security is only going to, you know, replace X amount. Um, if you make 30,000 a year, well, it's going to probably replace 80% of it. Right. Or more. Sure. So that is true. I don't know. Anyway, I don't, at least what I heard about the life cycle model, I'm not a fan. Yeah, I don't get it. What's he, what's he trying to prove? What's, what is he? Well, the other thing is that auto enrolling young workers in a 401k plan is also something that he says it's not worth doing. So, uh, yeah. Out of sight, out of mind, doesn't work. It does work. It does work. In, in, in my view, it, it's, it, it's huge. You got to do it. There you go. Okay. Hi, Big Al. Uh, Joe and Andy, I love your show and listen to it on the way to the pool in Lake, where I sim swim regularly. Oh, all right. A little pool or lake. Yep. I've been listening for about a year, and your podcast has helped me dramatically in taking control of my retirement in a 1,800 days. <laughs> 1,860. He's counting them down. <laughs> yeah, one of, the, one of those calendars. Just X. That's just X, 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 <laughs> government job. 
Hate my job. Hate my job. Okay, eighteen fifty nine. So what, what's that about? Eighteen fifty eight. Six years. Five years. Something like that. Oh, uh, we are no longer hoping. We're planning. <laughs> All right. Okay. Good. Okay. Could you please address a quick inquiry um, regarding student loan forgiveness? I exercise some aging options 2021 and consequently made $250,000 in 2020 and 2021. Our daughters age 22 and 20 both took out government student loans. These loans are their contribution to their education. And we did not co-sign our 22 year old graduated this past May. And the 21 year old is a junior. Apparently because we claim the ladies as dependents in 20 and 2021 forgiveness depends on parental income. And we made $250,000, thus we will not qualify for the $10,000 in forgiveness. Should I just refile our 2021 taxes and remove them as dependents, have them refile their taxes and redo the FAFSAs so they receive the forgiveness? Is this tax fraud? (laughs) Will I go to jail? If so, are there any with swimming pools? Ever been to a jail with a swimming pool? I've done, no, I've never been to jail, knock on wood. Yeah, me neither. So I, uh, I, I don't know, but I'm guessing no. Well, it's, it's, there, it's, it could be a swimming pool, but not what you're thinking of. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what you're thinking, but I, it could I, go all kinds of directions. I don't want to get into the politics of this subject, but want my daughters to have the same benefit their peers are getting, if possible. And no, we're not paying their loans. Enough is enough. Please help. Buoyant swimmer. swimmer. Yep. All right. Okay. So the I guess BS. the Biden administration did come out with a ten thousand dollar forgiveness as long as your income was low enough, and that's a true statement. If if a parent claims their child as a dependent, and they're going to school, then you have to look at the parent's income. So then the question is, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but can I refile and change the FAFSA? It seems like a, a lot of work. Can you do it? You could. Does it work? You'll have to try. I have no idea whether it works. Me personally, no. Just let, let it go. <laughs> that's, that's what I would say. But yeah, you can always re- amend your return. Changing the FAFSA. Can you do an amended FAFSA? I don't know. I don't either. That I'm, I'm not sure it works. But I, like I say, if it were me, I would just say, oh, well, <laughs> and move on. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if you want to go through all of that, try it and then let us know if it works. Yeah. You're not going to go to jail. No. You can still swim. Yeah. You can still swim. No. You might get your... your. Um, it's just going to get rejected or accepted, yeah. probably. They'll yeah. They'll be like, no. If, you, if, they, no. if they reject it or if, the, if, if this works and the IRS comes back at you and says no, or not the IRS, the student loan, <laughs> whoever does all that stuff. Yeah. So then, then what happens? Then maybe you got to pay the 10,000 back with interest back in, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So, but no, I, I see the point. It's like, okay, well here I want, you know, yeah, I don't want to get in the politics of this either, but it's like, <laughs> I, I get her point. It's like, okay, well here, why can't we get the same benefits as everyone else? Um, just because they had some options in these yeah. years and they claimed them, the kids as dependents yep, and you know, they, they probably had a, a lot higher income in the two years and, you know, put in some, Coincidentally. Thank you. <laughs> it just kind of falls together. All right. Uh, Buoyant Swimmer. Yep. That's kind of a cool name. We have the best guests or the we best do. listeners. Yep. You know, they're getting better and better. Yeah. The it's names like, keep improving. Yeah. The stories and the emails. Right. I mean, everything. And you good. can picture. 
what they're doing when yes. they're listening to the show. You know, well, we got one in the shower. Yeah, yeah that's the first. That, that was great. <laughs> now it's your turn. The show would not be a show without you. So if you've got money questions or want a retirement spitball analysis of your own, click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to go to the show notes. Then click Ask Joe and Big Al on air. Tell the fellas your name and where you're from, your age, when you and your spouse, if you have one, want to retire, how much you need to spend in retirement as well as how much you make now and how much you have saved and any other details that are relevant to your financial situation. Then to help Joe and Big Al really get into your mindset for this spitball, tell them the irrelevant stuff too. How do you listen to YMYW? In the shower, in the pool, in the car, walking your dog over drinks? What kind of car? What kind of dog? What are you drinking? Final thing, tell a friend to listen to YMYW and to send in their money questions. Then the whole hilarious cycle starts all over again. George, Charlotte, North Carolina writes in, Hey guys, love your show. It's my number one financial podcast. Number one? Number one financial right. podcast. Yeah. Wonder how many he listens to. Well, and there's a lot of other podcasts he'd rather listen to, but financially, we're number one. Got it. In his book. I know bonds and stocks are usually uncorrelated assets, but this year they're both getting crushed. I decided to move my bond portion of my portfolio into one year CDs, ranging from a three to 4% yields. I know these will still fluctuate in value. But I'm taking comfort knowing they will mature at par. I can then evaluate getting back into bond funds later next year when rates levels off. What do you guys think of this strategy? Well, I don't really like George selling assets when they're down to go into a fixed asset. I don't know. Yeah, well, I think he just went from his bond portion to CDs. No, I agree. But the bonds are down. You're right. Without, but, without a chance to recover. So you're basically, what you're doing is you're locking in your loss right now by going into CDs. And by the way, CDs do not fluctuate in value. They are what they are. It's a certificate of deposit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a bond investment. It's just a certificate of deposit at a bank usually. So let's talk about both of these investments real quick, Al. Okay. Okay. So here's what a bond is. It's a loan. Okay. And so let's say I'm, I have $100,000 that I'm going to lend Alan. Okay. Okay. Alan's going to pay me 3% per year on that $100,000 loan. And then it could be for three years. It could be for five years. It could be for 10 years. At the end of those that, that term, guess what? I get the 3% and I get $100,000 back. That's okay. a bond. That's what a bond is. It's a loan. Okay. And so as long as you hold the bond to maturity, you get your 3% and then you get your money back as long as there's not a default. Yeah, as long as I got the 100,000. Right. And then how high are default rates right now? Very, very low. Sure. Right. So you can go safe bonds, you can go risky bonds. And right now, why do bond prices fluctuate? Is because interest rates and bond prices, they have an inverse relationship. Correct. As interest rates go up, bond prices go down. But as long as you hold that bond to maturity, you're going to receive your money back as long as you don't sell it. Right. So let's think about that. So you got a three-year bond. You loaned me money for three years. After year one, you want your 100000 back. And I say, I, I don't got it. I don't have it. I'm invested in my business. I'll pay in two more years like we agreed. And then it's like, but I need the money. So then you go to the marketplace and say, well, someone buy my bond, the Clopine, and they'll say, well, but the 
current interest rates, 5%. Why would I want to bond at three? Yeah. So if I'm going to buy your bond at three, you need to discount it because otherwise I, I want to be equivalent to earning 5%. So maybe the bond is now worth 90,000. That's only if you sell it early. Correct. Right. If you hold it for the three years, you get your hundred thousand back. Right. And so, because if I'm trying to sell or trying to create that liquidity, as Alan just said, prior to the maturity date, then that's when you sell it at a discount or a premium. And it can be a premium. That's right. What if interest rates go down? So you're getting a 3% payment, but now interest rates are one. You know, people would like to have a 3%. So I get to charge, you get to charge more for that because it's such a good interest rate. Correct. And so what did um, George do? George said, you know what? I want to get out of these bond funds or bonds or whatever that he was in because they're down. Right. Well, they're down right now just because interest rates are up. And if you sell them on the open market, you're going to receive a discount for those bonds. If they hold them to maturity, the bonds will come back and you will get it back at par. So you sold at a loss to buy a almost the same instrument. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll go back. Go but back. A C, it's the same thing. It's the same concept. But you're not going to see the fluctuation of a, of a CD move unless you try to sell it prior to maturity. And what they're only going to do there is probably just take away your interest. Right. And so you, you locked in your loss. Now, if, if bonds and bond funds keep going down because interest rates keep going up for a long, long, long time, maybe that's a good move. But now you're predicting the market, timing the market, which is impossible. So really what you've done in doing this is you've locked in your loss because you've sold out of bonds while they're down. And now you're in CDs, which don't fluctuate. Correct. So- just be, just be, be, understand what you did. Michael from Virginia. Hey, Joe, Al, big fans. All right. It's big Al and big fans. <laughs> Listen to you every week and love what you do. Uh, well, thank you very much, Michael. I'm in the process of trying to consolidate my list of stocks because I have a lot of overlapping. Um, so he's got SPY and triple Q's. Some other stuff. And he's got Apple, Microsoft, Google. Yep. And I want to see how best to sell these stocks in an intelligent way to avoid paying as much tax as I can. There's a combination of short-term and long-term capital gains, but I feel like this is the right approach for my long-term plan. Any insight would be greatly appreciated. Interesting. Okay. So what does he want to do? Does he want to go more kind of like globally diversifying? And but everyone has overlap, right? Does does he want to sell the ETFs, the mutual funds, and and go more into individual stocks? Does he want to sell the individual stocks? Yeah, not not sure. Does he I, want to sell all the stocks he listed? I, I mean, I, I think the way I think about it is, what's your portfolio now? What would you like it to be? And then you come up with a gradual plan to make that happen, or right? do it right away. I mean, you do, sometimes you don't necessarily want to have the tax like manipulate what you're thinking in regards to your overall portfolio, right? Yeah. And, and especially I would agree with that when you don't have the right portfolio, like, like let's say you're way too concentrated in Apple and Microsoft, for example, not that they're not good stocks they're good stocks, but you're very concentrated and you're taking a lot of risk. So you might want to go ahead and not worry about the tax to diversify, particularly now in a down market, right? Because the tax cost will be cheaper. I would look at long-term capital gains before short-term. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take short term. Yeah, if if I could help it. Right. And right. I don't know who has short term capital gains unless they the, the, in, not, in today's market. It's hard to find. <laughs> right. Unless you, well, you bought it a long time ago. 
Well, that would not well, that be long term. That would not be short term. Okay, <laughs> yes. you had to buy it in. Uh, uh, you bought some gas companies last or something. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I know that doesn't really help, Mike. Um, and I'm sorry. You probably are never going to listen to the show again. But but I would also say this. And and yeah, if you don't have the right investment allocation, then just change it, pay the tax, and move on. But if you've got a decent allocation, but you just want to create less overlap. Then you can come up with a gradual plan. You look at what you have. You look at what's going to be tax cost the most, and you just come up with a plan. Maybe you do a little bit this year, a little bit next year. You know, maybe you straddle over two years, maybe yeah. over three years, and you pay less tax that way. So, so I would put together a spreadsheet and take a look at okay, well, what is the cost basis and what is the gain or loss, right? And then you would go to your lowest gain to your highest gain, and then you could see how much that you can diversify depending on how much tax that you're willing to pay in a given year. That's what we kind of do. We're looking at, all right, well, let's say we want to stay in the 15% tax bracket, or maybe they're in the 12% uh, tax bracket, and we don't want to pay any tax at all. So how much can I sell to free up and diversify out and stay in that 0% capital gain bracket? Or maybe that you're going to hit net investment income tax. So if you're at the $200,000 range, if you're single, 250, if you're married, you want to look how close are you to that number? And then you want to sell to not get that other 3.8% tax. So then you you want to look at how much can I sell out with the paying the least amount of tax, do a spreadsheet and go from the lowest gain to the highest gain. And then you can, can see, you know, dollar figure of how much that you can actually diversify out and if it's worth anything, then, then do what Al said, straddle it over two years. You know, we're already in October. Um, you know, you got a couple, couple more weeks until uh, 2023. So, all right. See, we redeemed ourselves there now. <laughs> you only have a couple more months to complete transactions for capital gains or losses in 2022. So now is the time to download our 2022 tax planning guide from the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. We all want to pay as little tax as legally possible, right? The tax planning guide is full of important deadlines, limits, checklists, and strategic tax planning tools and ideas so that you're fully prepared to lower your tax bill before next tax season. Get the 2022 tax planning guide and other free financial resources from the podcast show notes by clicking the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app. I uh, got an email from Greg. He goes, love your show. Could you spitball tax planning for a potential IPO in the next 12 to 24 months? I know that you can't ever count on IPO timing, particularly in this market, but the exercise seems valuable in order to start preparing now. Married, finally, jointly, three kids, mid-30s, charitably inclined. Income is 250 range, 125 in liquid investments between Roth 401k, IRAs, and brokerage accounts. It's light, but I only got started two years ago. Oh, there's the excuse on the end there. <laughs> <laughs> just got to throw that disclaimer in, don't right, you? Right. Uh, the IPO will possibly generate between 350 and 1.5 million gross between stock options and RSUs. And I've already exercised in holding about 30% of the stock options plan to continue to exercise options each year while avoiding AMT in order to have more favorable tax treatment on those shares. Also consider creating a donor advice fund for charitable contributions in the year of the IPO. What actions would you take now during and the year following? an IPO liquidity event. So he's going to have a tax event and he's thinking about ways to, to yeah, shield to, to some of the To minimize it. And, and so there's two kinds of stock options. There's incentive stock options. There's non-qualifying options. The fact that you're talking about AMT 
leads me to believe it's an incentive stock option, which basically means you can you can exercise. It's not an income tax event, but it is income for alternative minimum tax purposes. You pay the alternative minimum tax, but you start your holding period. And as long as the IPO uh, and resulting sale happens more than a year later, you will get long-term capital gain all the way back to your exercise price. Not what it was when you exercised it, but all the way back to your exercise price, which will be a lot lower tax. You get your AMT tax generally refunded upon sale. So it's it's a great strategy, uh, but there's big risks in that. And I have seen this before, especially during the dot-com bust. This was a while ago, but I'll give you a story. A, a, a friend of mine, had a, a tech company. The stock was worth $14 per share. He exercised a bunch of incentive stock options thinking there was no tax consequence. When he got his tax return, he owed $2 million in alternative minimum tax. He did not have the money. And then the dot-com bust hit and the stock went down to 30 cents a share and he declared bankruptcy. So that's a that's a pretty extreme example. But that's the, the risk is when you exercise and pay the alternative minimum tax, Make sure you've got. Um, make, make sure you're you're okay uh, financially in case the stock goes down a lot more than you expected. That was a very pleasant story, Alan. <laughs> well, I'm being realistic here. Now, if it's a if it's a non-qual option, then it's just fully taxable when you exercise it. But you start the clock running. If there's any future gain, then that's long-term capital gain. So there's advantages there too. All right. So what's it going to do to mitigate some of the tax here? So that's it. Donor right. advice fund. Well, first of all, you exercise to get capital gain, but then the year that you have all the gain, ordinary income or capital gain, a donor advice fund is a great way to go. So what that means is you set up a, an account with usually a brokerage company. You put money into that account or better yet, appreciated stock. And then whatever the stock is worth when you donate it is, is the amount of your deduction. And then the, the account holds it. It doesn't necessarily go to charity right away. It goes to charity over time as you see fit. So if you're charitably inclined, which Greg is, then that's a good way to get a deduction this year or the year of the IPO when you need it, and then dole out the money later when you're in a lower tax bracket. All right. Uh, well, good luck with the IPO, Greg. Um, donor advice fund, is there any stipulations in regards to what charities that, that would be able to, to get doled out to? Can, let, let's say, could he give it to the church on Sundays? Yeah, it, well, it needs to be a formal charity. Uh, it's, it's called a 501c3, which all charities in the United States have. So just make sure that it, it can't be like a homeless person because that's not a charity, but you can give to a charity that helps homeless people. Wow. How Bank, about that? Bankruptcy, homeless people. I'm just being real. <laughs> Maybe next segment we can, talk, <laughs> we can talk about terminal illness. But uh, I think it's important because a lot of times people exercise without realizing the risk. That's why I bring it up. All right. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Judy writes in Big Al from San Diego. Okay. I am... In my 70s, Social Security and pension pay all my bills with a little bit left over uh, with an income of 55000 I own my home, car, golf cart, and have no debt. Uh, 500000 in an IRA, 20000 in a Roth, 20000 in brokerage. Most will go to charity upon my death. RMBs are split between QCDs and transferring to brokerage. I'm in the 22% tax bracket. So, bottom line, my life is great as is. I'm healthy. I'm not a good spender, even now. Um, I've done my traveling. I don't mind paying my taxes, but would prefer not to pay more than necessary. 
I've been doing Roth conversions every year, $12,000 paying the tax for my IRA. As the tax rates will increase in 2025. But now I'm unsure and would like your thoughts. Is it prudent for me to continue to do conversions in a down market? I'm trending towards yes, as I will have to pay the tax in the future. But I have friends who say no, as I won't make the cost back. Hmm. Can't break even. We've heard that before, right? There's costs, I guess, associated. Yeah, taxes. Yeah, you won't won't make it out. Right, because you're too old to start. Yeah, it's bad. Or or so the argument goes, yes. They're wrong, by the way. <laughs> Little teaser. Okay. Yeah. Does it matter when I pay taxes now or later? Am I wrong thinking paying now works fine? I appreciate your thoughts. Thanks. Um, okay, a couple of things. She says her income's fifty five thousand with the standard deduction. She's in the twenty two percent tax bracket. Uh, yeah, single fifty five minus twelve ish. She's barely in it. Barely, yeah, barely. So she gives half of her R and D which is 10 grand to charity and another 10 or 12 and 12, I guess yeah. is what she's, she's doing here. Right. I so, guess the, the act, what pushes her over is the RMD probably. But she's given half that as QCDs, which I understand. is a, yeah. straight to charity. Yeah, correct. Then the other one's going into the brokerage. Right. So she's converting 12 and she's paying taxes out of the IRA. Right. Cause she doesn't have a big brokerage account. Well, she's got 25 grand, but the RMDs are going in the brokerage account. Right. Okay. True. That's true. Yep. Okay. True. Right. So a couple of things. Well, if you're paying taxes out of the IRA, I don't know if that makes any sense. Well, so here, here's a couple of my thoughts right off the bat. So if, if the money is going to ultimately go to charity, right. And then you do QCDs, the Roth conversions are not as important. Yeah. Right? I mean, it makes zero sense. Right. On the other hand, um, if you have some, you know, I don't know, you say most of, most will go to charity upon my death. If you have some kids or nephews or grandchildren or whatever you'd like some money to go to, then the Roth IRA is definitely the best way to go. And so then that would make sense to continue. Also, um, Judy's already noted that the tax rate's going up in 2025. The 22% bracket will be 25. So it'll be more expensive later. And furthermore, if you do conversions now in a in more of a down market, you're gonna it's to your advantage, right? Because you get more in and, and it's less tax. Uh, if you're gonna use the money yourself or give it to nieces and nephews, if you're never gonna use the money yourself, a Roth conversion isn't really that important, right? If if it's going to charity, then do 100% QCD, and it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, You'll never be it. in that bracket. You'll right. never pay taxes on the RMD, right? And then if the beneficiaries at uh, uh, charity, then they're not going to pay taxes when they inherit it. Right. However, if you want more cash flow or if you want to have to build, you know, because she's taking half of the RMD and she's putting half in her brokerage and half not. Right. Right. Or half to charity. Sure. So I guess we got to square that away first to determine what makes sense. But here's the argument that she's having with her friends is saying it's going to take her too long to catch up because of the cost of the conversion. So I guess the argument or or where she's having um, these discussions with her friends of saying, hey, you're not going to make up the costs. Right. Right. Which is what you see in article after article. Right. It, it, you got to be younger to do a Roth conversion because there's a tax cost. Right. So let's just assume for, for simple math that 
she's in the 25% tax bracket and she converts a hundred thousand, it's going to cost her $25,000 to do the conversion. And how long is it going to make up to, to, to reap back that 25,000 that went to the IRS? Sure. That's, that's the question. Yeah. And that's the argument, right? Mm-hmm. But what's, what are they forgetting? <laughs> well, they're forgetting that no matter when you pull the money out, you have to pay tax. Right. right. So it's, it's like the hundred thousand dollars in your IRA is not really hundred thousand dollars to you. Let's say a 25% bracket, it's only 75,000 to you. Right. So you, you have to calculate the tax you got to pay now versus later. And when you do the math, if you're always in the tax, same tax rate all the time, all the time, forever and ever, then it makes no difference. Right. Because whether you pay the tax today or tomorrow, it's the same tax. You pay 25 percent on a on a on a uh, IRA that's grown versus 25 percent on a lower IRA. The numbers work out the same. Trust me, if you do it on a piece of paper, you'll see what I mean. Now, on the other hand, when you are in a lower tax bracket, right, or or when you want the money to go to nieces and nephews that may be in a higher tax bracket, or when the market's lower and you can take advantage of the market recovery, there's a lot of reasons to do Roth, even if you're going to be in same, same, same tax tax bracket. Right. Okay. So because what they're not looking at is the purchasing power of the money. Right. Right. Like you said, Al, $100,000 in an IRA is not worth 100000 I can't take $100,000 out and buy something with hundred grand. No, you got a partner. That's the IRS. Right. So I got to pay my partner first to, for, for me to take, take the hundred grand. Right. So if I find something beautiful that I want to buy for a hundred thousand dollars. And I look at my account and my IRA is worth a hundred thousand dollars. I can't afford whatever I want to buy. Let's say it's a, it's a nice little cabin somewhere in Northern Minnesota. Right. I suppose it wouldn't be a very good cabin. Yeah, It's a really dumpy cabin. (laughs) But at least you could buy it. Right. I can't afford it because I don't have enough money because as soon as I take the distribution, the hundred thousand dollars out, I'm going to owe 25 grand in tax, assuming that simple math in her case, 22%. So 22,000. Yeah. Right. So she's looking at this wrong or her friends or the, the, the discussions that she's having, they're looking at it wrong because as the IRA grows, you're right. It's the same tax. It's the same number, but what's the difference between a Roth and a traditional IRA is you have a lot more control. Right, you don't have an RMD in a Roth IRA. You, it passes a hundred percent tax free, you know, to nieces and nephews. If it's right. going to a charity like we try to look at before, it's the points mute. Yeah, you, you actually pay tax that you didn't need to pay, right? right. Except that. So let's say Judy lives to 100 years old. Then she has all these required minimum distributions at higher tax rates that she could have done something about with the Roth IRA. So that there's actually a reason to go ahead and do it now. But now that she's going to give 100% of the RMD to the QCD. That's right. But that's not what she's doing now. She's right. doing 50-50. No, I agree. Right? But, but yeah, if, if 100% goes to charity, QCD, which means once you're over 70 and a half, you can give your required minimum distribution to charity and you don't pay tax on it, that's perfectly allowable. And if, if when she passes, everything goes to charity, you would never do a Roth conversion. There's no need to. Right. And I don't know. It's like she can't spend more. She's already done her traveling. She's already done everything. <laughs> so why is she taking half? Why isn't she giving a hundred percent of the RMD to the QCD? Yeah. Well, I guess would be my question. Why don't you just do that and then avoid the taxes altogether? Here's why I would. It's because the brokerage account isn't really it's got 20,000. It's not chump change, but it, it's it's not a lot in case something happens that you want the money. So I would I would actually build that up a little bit. But I would use that to pay the taxes on the, well, on the conversions. Sure. Well, if sure. she's going to do conversions, if it makes sense. Well, I agree with that. But 
in this case, I'm not sure if it makes sense because of how charitably inclined this yeah, is. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. Uh, thanks, Judy. So it's called Your Money, Your Well. Find out more about qualified charitable distributions, donor-advised funds, and other ways to maximize the tax deduction you receive when you give money to charity. Download our free charitable giving guide. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to go to the show notes, access all those free financial resources mentioned in today's episode, and to read the episode transcript. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 and schedule a free one-on-one financial assessment at a time and date convenient for you no matter where you are in the country. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals at Pure will be able to identify strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.